Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. We've got some of the last bidding on this beautiful, genuine artwork here. $81 million going once, going twice. Sold to the man with the clearly fake Yeezys in the back. Okay, besides that last part, this really happened. Back in the mid-90s, a Glafira Brazales appeared on the New York art scene ready to cause some splashes. She had sold fake Rothko paintings for $8.3 million, fake Pollux for $17 million, and many other that just offered up smaller tickets, uh, by comparison, that is. She had gotten away with these by imitating the styles of the masters and then aging them with substances like tea, vacuum cleaner dirt, etc. She was, however, caught in 2013 and forced to forfeit nearly $81 million, so put the vacuum cleaner away. Crime does not pay. With all this being said, welcome to episode two of Faked. How to tell a fake art piece. Step number one, provenance. Provenance is a chain of ownership from contemporary owner way back to the manufacturer. Okay? Even the provenance must be evaluated and examined. So... This could be a fax that was received um, from somebody stating that maybe you had bought it from a particular art gallery and then that gallery would actually have its own provenance that then it would continue on to give the new owner, okay? And then you've been attached now to that provenance, which is great because that is a fingerprint, okay? That's a fingerprint for you. Now you're on that timeline. You have owned this piece. So you want to make sure that the previous owners, they did all the correct research. They got on the provenance and then they are now part of that system. So you should be able to follow that back piece by piece, facts by facts, uh, just documentation after documentation. That is going to preserve the investment that you the buyer, have in this art piece, okay? Essentially, it's telling you why this person should own this piece of art, okay? So it's it's pretty um, characteristic of when you do own most things, uh, you want to know where it came from, not like TVs and stuff, but like let's say you have a very expensive vase. You want to know that that's going back to like the Chang dynasty. And you want to know everybody in between that in case there were things done to it in which maybe it was replaced. That's what you want to know. So another thing with provenance is you're going to want to find a match for the artwork, uh, whether that's through software or catalogs. Okay, Catalogs are very important because it displays a lot of the The ownership, and it says, okay, we as a art gallery own this. And through with our reputation on the line, we want to sell it. So that's very important. Let's jump on. Step number two is a visual analysis. This is super important because that's essentially what a painting is. You know, you want somebody going through visual analysis every time they look at it. 
So, close-up analysis of materials on paintings such as colors, drip layers, underlaying colors, uh, brush versus drip, signature. Um, some some artists or some art recreations will not have a signature on it because they're trying to dodge the legal repercussions. Okay, they 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 try to pass it off as a fake. But then they they say it's a reproduction because they didn't put the signature on or try to fake the signature because there are legal repercussions to that, okay? So that's important. When you don't see a signature on it, you could be a little weary. Not every artist put a signature on things, but most did because, heck, why would you not? You know, there wasn't the internet where you had copyrights and stuff like that. So staple holes on canvas, that's more modern when you do look at a piece of art, you're going to want to look at the aging of things. Where Was this medium available at that time? Let's say it's an older painting by an older artist. You're not going to see things like staples. You're not going to see things like scribs. You're not going to see things that are of modern nature. Okay, Evaluate if it was emulated in age. Okay, I had mentioned before people used tea bags because it has that nice brown tone to it. Smoke, they would put it over a like a smoldering fire, obviously far away from it, but that smoke would build up, giving it that age. Um, you're going to want to smell it closely. By that, when you do smell it, uh, which is something we talk about in some of our other episodes, you can determine whether tea bags were thrown on there. You're not going to be able to hide that smell. Smoke, that's very clear. You're not going to want smoke in your painting. That's kind of the thing that you don't want next to paintings is fire. So inconsistent aging, say, take a look at its full, uh, just take it all in. Take a look at it. If it's aged improperly in some areas and it's newer in some, you're going to, you're going to want to look and explore that a little more. Okay. So take a look at the back of the painting. That is just as important as looking at the front of the painting because that is the painting. It's still the painting. It's just not, you know, the forte of it. So color of the wood. Has it been oxidized? Has it been oxidized correctly? Okay. Wood ages, that's something that's just, that's just nature. Okay. It ages. Uh, you got to look at the relining of the painting as well. Uh, you'll see kind of some different colors on the wood. And that actually says that it was worth saving. Okay. Relining the painting saves it from cracking. So it says it was worth a little bit of money if somebody was willing to spend the money to reline it. Okay, so let's jump in quickly to step three. This is a photograph and ultraviolet analysis of the painting, all right? See if there are sketchings under the painting from prior to its start. So a photograph's gonna be able to do that by you manipulating some of the colors after you've taken it. After you've taken the picture of it, you can go through all of these uh, color changes, you're putting in a negative, you're putting it in different um, shades. So then you can actually see some underlying uh, alterations and things of that nature. So uh, a lot of painters back in the day, they reused their canvas because they were expensive and they just had limited availability. So if they did mess up, I mean, you look at some of the paintings and you're like, wow, how do they do that first time around? Well, that wasn't the case always. Sometimes they didn't do it first time around. Actually, I would say most of the time they didn't do it first time around. They had 
to restart. So some of that stuff comes up during the photograph analysis. So that's why it's important because you're seeing what's going on. If it was a recreation, you're not going to see that. And heck, I mean, that's a good forager if they determine or if they decided to do that beforehand. That's, you know, that's a pretty good foraging right there because you're actually creating something hidden within it that um, you're fooling these professionals in that case. Next up under step three is the ultraviolet analysis. So with um, ultraviolet, ultraviolet analysis, this is going to show up some restorations and reconstructions. Um, so what you'll see is maybe some patchwork on the back of it that had been reapplied new canvas to an old canvas maybe there was a rip or something it also it also shows rips it'll show uh more uh just different paintings used on there and it would show up in the ultraviolet light which is super nice because it'll show improper conservation a lot of the times when something's being conserved it will be altered and that's fine because you're saving the painting but if it's done improperly then you've got an issue, okay? These are professionals doing the job. These are not hacks doing these. And that's where you kind of get into an issue of, is this a valid painting or not? You following? Step four, we're jumping into kind of the more space age look to things, okay? This is the x-ray fluorescence analysis, okay? I've seen the tool, kind of looks like a Star Trek phaser, it emits small amounts of x-rays onto the paintings, exciting the electrons, just like we're all excited about this, in the pigments to determine what was in the paint itself. So titanium oxide is an element widely found in white pigment from 1930s till today. Okay, If we were looking at an older painting, we wouldn't see that particular element. We would see different elements composing these paints. So chromium is in green, cobalt, violet, Cadmium is an orange and so on. We won't go through more of those because there's infinite amount of colors. Well, actually, there's a finite amount of colors, but we won't go through that. And that's kind of that kind of sums up the fluorescence analysis. It's it's essentially just a very expensive tool in order to determine the age of the paint itself. Okay. Next up, we are doing um, step five. We're looking at um, microscopy. Okay. This is taking tiny, non-destructive slivers of the paint itself. Okay, they go in there and they they sliver away. They get a little piece of each paint, different colors, to look at the organic materials and test the pigment and the binder. So the binder being uh, like acrylic, oil, mm, what do we got? We got pastels, we have watercolors. So different binders are have different they transient age so acrylics really didn't come out until the 60s so if you're looking at acrylic paint on something that was intended to be uh painted back in the 1800s you know that's a big eh, you know you gotta look at these binders because that's important when you actually go in there and do a sliver of the paint you get to determine what that is okay a lot of these are pretty visual watercolor is very visual uh same with uh pastel but you do have to look at this stuff to see what the aging process is because that's that's very important you have to see what when this painting claims to have been painted at so guys 
we could have talked about this for hours. I wanted this to be kind of a simple one because it is, it's one of those very niche markets. A lot of people aren't going out and buying million dollar paintings. You know, a lot of my friends aren't. Okay. Last piece of art I bought was from TJ Maxx. Okay. Call me a Maxonista, but I didn't spend a lot of money on it. And I don't think it was, I mean, it certainly wasn't original by any means. It was, it was like a mixed medium. So guys, that is ultimately how you're going to determine a fake art piece. If you are ever in the business of receiving millions and millions and millions of dollars for, you know, for a piece of art. So guys, that is it. I want to uh, thank you guys for listening and we will be coming back probably in the next week or so with a new topic Maybe something not as dry as this, but I, I personally love this because it's we talk about how crazy expensive um, these markets are of forgery. But this has got to be one of the top. It has to be one of the top because there are people today, um, I've seen some Vice videos, that have, through the Statue of Limitations, recreated and made a fortune out of making fake art. And due to the statute of limitations, they actually got away with it. And now they are consulted with, which is nice. But still, um, that shows you that people made livings. And that's just the guy that got caught. You know, there are plenty. We just mentioned one in the beginning there. Plenty of people that went undetected for years and years. So in the description of this podcast, look for an email you can send me some suggestions you'd like to hear on some future podcasts of Faked. Remember, with faked items, there are those who produce them, those who purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. I'll see you in the next episode.